and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Tyler Smith, and today we'll be talking about Minute 64, which begins with Gorman saying something about suppressing fire and ends with Gorman weakly mumbling that they should continue to fall back. And yes, I am falling back on Tyler Smith as my guest host again this week. I don't know where that segue came from. That is an odd way of phrasing that. It doesn't lead me to believe that I'm anybody's first choice, but that's all right. It's because you've got my back. That's what I mean. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know where that segue came from. And I'll tell you who has my back. It is, uh, it is the uh, writer and just general reporter and, in my opinion, soon to be leader of the Nerdist. I, I, <laughs> Kyle was saying something about some uh, coup. I don't know. Anyway, the point is, Kyle Anderson is here. Kyle, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Uh, there's no coup going on. I'm not planning anything. Anybody who might Wait. be listening, I'm not going to overthrow uh, any sort of leadership. Obviously, you know, that is what someone would have to say in that situation. But uh, Kyle, I get what you I get what you mean. Don't worry. We won't. We won't. Never mind. We won't <laughs> talk about that anymore. You have the full support Hardly. of battleship retention behind you. <laughs> I, I mean, Whoa. the whole fleet, that's pretty good. <laughs> exactly. And you have the air support of Alien Minute. I don't wow. know if that really works, but you need air support <laughs> in this kind of a situation. So I feel like Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're still in the middle of this uh, this debacle of sorts, I guess. And we're trying, Gorman's trying to get through to Apone. He's giving him some kind of low volume orders about suppressing fire and Apone's not able to pick it up. Uh, yeah. So we got, this is kind of how I see it. You know, we have Gorman who's incapable of being decisive and is made up his mind about something, but he's not decisive enough to say it in a volume that Apone can hear it. We have Vasquez going rogue, firing her weapon. So Apone can also not hear the orders. It seems like another one of those situations where we're having a um, um, a bit of incompetence in the, among the Marines that's leading to the death of another Marine. And I tell you, here's something that's fascinating about this minute. This entire minute, if you look at it from where we are starting to where we are ending, it is all about the complete breakdown in leadership. Um, because we've got Gorman trying to do something, we have a pwn going down, and then we have the Marines responding to that. You know, we have Hudson saying, oh, the Sarge is gone, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, it is essentially these guys, like the grunts, realizing no, Gorman is useless and a pwn is gone, we are on our own. And all of that happens in this one-minute span, and it, it you know... One one element of the the Alien series is about like not being able to trust institutions, whether they be companies or governments or the military. Uh, and this is an example of part of the part of the uh, strength of the military comes with its structure. The idea that there's a chain of command, and we see the chain of command break down, and we see the authority figures essentially become pointless. Yeah, and it really once Apone goes down, it yeah it becomes pure chaos. And I think it's a good way of, of illustrating that by having these POV shots through the body cams. Mm -hmm. There's something particularly like crazy about it. It makes them seem like they've completely lost it, that they're like running up into cameras, even though we know they're you know talking to each other. It just looks as though they've completely lost it, just screaming things. And you're right. They're like, well, now the Sarge is gone. Let's just get the fuck out of here. They don't care what Gorman has to say about it anymore. They're just 
they know that it's over at this point. And yeah, Apone, we got to say RIP. Well, I guess not quite RIP yet, but um, he's out of the picture now, and that's a big problem for these guys. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things about Apone in this whole sequence that we've been talking about these last few days is Apone feels like he's uh, like a million miles away. Like he's never in the same shot with anybody else. It it always feels like he's he's removed and he is because and he doesn't know what, what's going on at all. And when he gets taken, uh, he is literally the middleman between Gorman uh, calling the shots and the Marines act- enacting the shots. And uh, without him. It, we as we see it, it completely breaks down and they can't even though they, they are online with each other they can talk to each other they just don't they don't know how there's that link is gone and um uh and and you sort of realize and he's set up to be he is an important character he is you know uh one of the main people he is the one that everybody trusts and he's the one that everybody is respectful of um because he's one of them he's one of the guys um and and to have him gone, it's like there's a vacuum. There really there really does feel like a vacuum, and it's like somebody needs to step up. And it it literally takes Ripley, who they don't like at this point, to step in and kind of fill the vacuum of like, look, this is what we have to do. I don't care who's supposed to be in charge. I'm taking charge right now. And that obviously happens more so in the next minute that we're going to talk about. But um, they, for that to happen. Apone is gone, and then we just see the complete deflation of even the halfway inflated uh, Gorman because he was never all that confident. He's not like the Hudson of of bureaucrats. Like he's not like oh, I'm the best there ever was or anything like that. He's he's nervous throughout, uh, and he's even just like uh, early on in the minute um, he starts saying something, and Apone before he gets taken is like repeat everything you said after. Uh, incinerate or whatever he says and and he's and you just see this look on Gorman's face like I can't even say it right (laughs) he can't even hear me and as anybody who knows if you have a bad connection or something like that and if you've said something and somebody can't hear you uh, either in person or on the phone or on online or whatever it's so infuriating it's like and, and you just feel very uh, ineffectual at that point and and you can just see it in his face and he just sinks lower and lower into his chair as he's trying to figure out something he has to do and he's he the one time he's actually giving an order he's like do this and this apone can't hear him and then apone gets killed or taken and then the marines don't listen to him it's just such a a, a, a sad moment for a character we don't we already don't like but um that's him deflating is what creates the the reason for Ripley to to take control. And when you think about it, what, I mean, you know, any number, any of these characters could be killed at any time, but what is it specifically that killed a pawn aside from the alien? It was the fact that he wasn't shooting. He was standing, trying to talk to Gorman, you know, he, and in doing so, he wasn't really paying attention. I don't necessarily blame him. I blame that. Like it is trying to be loyal to the chain of command that put a target that kind of put a target on his back. Cause he's just standing there. Um, and what's more is he isn't killed. He is taken, you know, like that's how at the moment inconsequential a pawn is, you know, cause the aliens clearly they would like to take everybody so they can be impregnated, but the aliens are rather hostile and they kill a lot of people. Um, and so it's, so if a pawn like was had a gun or the or an incinerator and was firing around, they, in order to stop him, they might have killed him. Um, but no, he wasn't doing any of that because he was so focused on trying to get actual instructions from his superior officer. 
so Gorman's ineptitude and just fecklessness actually starts to, I mean, it, it definitely affects other people, but this is a very clear, uh, a very clear cause and effect where even trying to interact with Gorman, uh, gets people killed. Um, it isn't, it would be better if, if, uh, opponent just made judgment calls in that moment. And cause he probably would have been like, okay, we're leaving, but he hasn't gotten that order yet. And so in this instance, him being a loyal Marine is what gets him killed or gets him taken. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's something I haven't, I haven't thought about before. Uh, but, and, and I should mention that, so, you know, we've lost Frost, who we, we got a pretty good sense of a little bit here and there. Dietrich, we've gotten a little bit from. We got nothing from Crow. We got nothing from Where's Baski. Apone is the first character that we've gotten that I'd say is a full-fledged character. He's still supporting, but he is a full-fledged character, and now he's dead. So now it's like, okay, now anyone, now truly anyone is is fair game. Yeah, it's it, he, he is such an important character to everybody in the movie Mm -hmm. and 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 to have him go out like that we don't even see what happens to him we find out later on that he's still technically alive (laughs) which is such a horrible thing to have to say about somebody hey you know that guy who has been your friend and and mentor for such a long time well he's technically alive um (laughs) but uh you don't even have to finish that thought because it's already horrible um uh yeah so it's he is really the first character like you said it's it's you, you could almost even lose Michael uh, Michael Bean at that point yeah. uh, and, and be like, well, weird that such a, a known actor got killed right away. But yeah, I get it. But like a bone is like may as well have been played by somebody like a Sylvester Stallone or somebody like that. Like that's how important he was to yeah. the cast. And then he's gone. Um, and 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 what a great performance because he he does that. He makes us like I, I think I said early on in one of the episodes, I don't really like any of the Marines. With the exception, I think, of Apone, because like he's just such a you know he's he's like when they wake up, he's like God damn, I love the core and all that stuff, and it's just yeah. kind of like I don't I don't like people like that in real life, but you kind of have to be like, yep, yeah, he's a he's just a happy go lucky guy who likes his job, <laughs> and he's chewing on that one piece of cigar for his entire life. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love a guy who's got a cigar with him in a cryopod, you yeah. know, just, like sitting on his lap waiting to it's wake his up. Blanky. It's yeah, exactly. I mean, I love Apone, and you're right. He is the first. He's kind of the glue, right? So he, he's the first character. Even if you got to know those guys, like Frost and um, Dietrich, a little bit. Like I, I joked, a little bit of joking, but it's just a little bit of truth to it that Dietrich was kind of the uh, science officer. You know, you get some a little bit of information from her. You get a little bit of she functions as the medic and so on. So you get a little bit of what she is. She's not just a grunt. And yeah, Frost obviously gets a few lines, but Apone's like he's like the glue to the whole thing, and so him going out is the is the first big big character death. And you know, I also want to say that him him not being him having to stand there stationary and not be fully aware of his surroundings is also partially Vasquez's fault. It seems that in the sound design, they keep placing the gunfire right where he's supposed to be hearing things. That seems to be the thing that's really keeping him from hearing the instructions. I mean, to me, the whole thing's pretty futile. He's probably going to get get it anyway. Sure. But uh, we're just illustrating further uh, the, the, how problematic this whole situation is. And, you know, they're not – clearly, Apone's the most experienced guy, right? We know that. It's got to be true. We don't get that expressly said to us. 
but we know he's probably seen more action than anyone else. But I bet they haven't seen this kind of action. I mean, we know they haven't seen this particular alien, but I'm betting from the way they talked about bug hunts and so on, whatever your definition of bug hunt might be or whatever the movies might be. Um, I'm guessing that most of their missions were pretty easy. And so this is Apone even being the, the top dog of this whole crew. This is just completely throwing him for a loop. And I just don't think he ever had a chance in the first place unless he just didn't try the chain of command and just said, let's get out of here. Maybe they could have beat it, but I don't know. I feel like one of the, in order to raise the stakes and let the audience know that this is serious, I think either or both either a or Hudson had to die because mm-hmm. they're the most vocal. They are the, in their own way, like they're the, the images of, they are the image of the Marines in the case of, of a He's very, he's, he's by the book, but he's also no nonsense. And he has, he, like you said, he's the glue that holds everything together. Uh, and then Hudson is the image of like cockiness and confidence. And, uh, and he admittedly in a cut scene, uh, is talking all about how great their firepower is. So like one of these guys needed to die to show that their being Marines is not actually going to, fix anything it'll kill a few aliens along the way but they are not going to to make it um and so and it's something that occurs to me this is pretty far down the line uh, it is not in this section um but there's a moment later on when uh hicks who is a corporal which means he's one step above uh the other characters um when he's talking with uh hudson and vasquez and he's saying like okay here's what i need you to, need you to do i need you to stay frosty so this is you know again several minutes down the line and you realize in that moment like yeah that's what's because i think gorman at this point is still unconscious but it's like yeah that's what's left of the marines these three people a corporal and two privates that is that's your chain of command it was this whole unit and now it's just these three um and he's talking to them as marines it's like the last moment where they actually there's still a semblance of what they used to be um and so, yeah, this moment when Apone dies and with him, like the symbol of any kind of organization or unity, uh, that's why it is so important. And you get the sense that uh, from those things that you were talking about, that, like Hicks probably would be a good leader. Like if, if it, oh, yeah. circumstances were different and this was just a regular kind of war and Apone died, it's like you, you I feel like the brass would would feel pretty comfortable in promoting him. Um, but. Uh, it doesn't quite work out that way. He does step up and he becomes essentially the second lead of the movie. Well, actually the third lead nude is the second lead of the movie. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, I, I w- which is interesting to me actually that they, uh, f- the comic books, I guess that came out afterwards and the video games and especially the toys. I really remember the toy commercials, which were like in the early nineties, which were aliens, even though alien three, I think was already coming out or had already come out, but they were still like, you know, doing aliens Hicks was the narrator quote unquote it was Rob Paulson's voice but it was the narrator of the toy commercials hmm. and it was Apone and Hudson and Vasquez and Hicks were the characters you could get oh and Ripley too of course but uh I hang on it was not Hudson he came later it was okay. Drake it was Drake apologies yes. why would you put Drake <laughs> over Hudson though because then you get the gun you get the that's why yeah. good call no Vasquez uh, huh she came later as well okay um okay so anyway sorry i'm I'm conflating two commercials but anyway uh i think it's like they they knew that like hicks is kind of the badass of this movie 
uh, this this secret badass. And so they were like, let's you know have him, which is so weird to me, narrate <laughs> the toy commercial, <laughs> not just you can get all of these guys because you've heard that guy before. Like <laughs> you can collect all of the Jurassic Park dinosaurs and all that stuff, but it's like you get. Rob Paulson being like, come on, join the colonial Marines. I'm Hicks. And you're like, but you're a toy and you sound like Yakko Warner. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was a uh, aliens. You know, you're not going to really make any toys of alien three. Right. I guess so you mentioned oh. that. Yeah. What would you do? Like prison, <laughs> prison action. <laughs> Charles figures. Dance figure with the exploding head. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just thinking the aliens is so G.I. Joe, you know, you have this G.I. Joe thing that you can play with. So because if you dig in, in deep into the hole of aliens toys boy, there's some crazy vehicles and stuff that yeah. uh, people occasionally post on our Facebook page that are pretty, pretty funny stuff that would never be in any movie. But it just seems like the ridiculous sort of G.I. Joe take on toys. I believe I commented on one of those because someone had posted like there was like a, a flight vehicle with like uh, an alien like capture pod. Yeah, that's and it. Yeah. Like, the Marines kill the aliens. The whole point is they don't capture them. Well, Wayland Yutani wants them, uh, you know, intact. I'm sure for their weapons division. So I guess so. I guess those toys are playing into the Wayland Yutani uh, yeah. you know, corporate agenda. So. And there's and there's uh, the action figure of a pwn, and he's flying it. Boy, man, he is he's a company man. <laughs> I guess so. Speaking of company men, I did want to bring up uh, Paul Reiser in the scene. We haven't really gotten much reaction from him, and we're going to get a lot more in the next minute. But I just wanted to point out that he is still there in the background, and his performance choices. I'm not sure exactly what you would call it. It's very very unsure of what's going on. I guess. I think there's a lot more in the next minute. There's a lot more character choices that he makes in the background and even uh, has a bit of dialogue. But I just wanted to point out that we haven't forgotten about Burke. He's still there and he does show up in this minute. So right now, now that you mentioned that, that's very interesting. Right now, I'm kind of scrolling silently through this clip and I'm paying close attention to Paul Reiser. He's wide eyed. He's looking around, but he looks a little bit stoked, but he also looks like I don't know if Paul Reiser is actually doing this. It could just be that he's very serious. But knowing knowing who Burke is, there could be this element where he is looking at this and thinking, good Lord, can you imagine if we were doing this to our enemies? Can you imagine, it, like, let's say in this, it's 1986, so I'm sure it's like, ah, we're still at war with Russia or whatever um, in the in the future. And so it's like, wow, look at how these things are decimating our own Marines what if we dropped them off over in Russia? So it could be like he's taking all of this in and making calculations. I don't necessarily think that's what Paul Reiser is doing. He probably is thinking primarily about uh, the the danger that is happening and how it could get to him eventually. But uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of things that you can read into his performance when you know, not unlike Ash in the first film, there's a lot of things you can read into his performance when you know who and what he is. Yeah, we talked about that back with the uh, discovery of the facehuggers in the med lab. How he he's kind of okay with them. There's even that that false scare when the one sort of suction cups to the side of the jar. It doesn't really seem to bother him as much as it seems to uh, excite him a little bit. And we thought, well, with the with hindsight, knowing who he is, he just saw dollar signs, right? That's what he's yeah. seeing when he sees that thing. Uh, alive and well inside that jar he's like oh this is exactly what we came here for 
And so I think I think you're right. I actually do think that's probably a character choice that Riser's making here too. And we'll talk about it more in the next minute. But the way he's watching the scene go down is very curious to me. Uh, but let's just save that for tomorrow, I guess. Uh, just just briefly, the uh, when we see the flashes of the screens and we see absolute chaos. We see Hicks, we see Hudson and they're talking to each other and essentially they are looking directly at us. Um, and so the panic is directed towards us and, uh, it's very shaky and it's, I think Cameron really uses like the shoulder or the, the helmet cams really well, um, to, to add to the, to the chaos and make it a little bit POV. Um, so that we feel like we're in the midst of this as well. Yeah, we talked a lot about these. These we could just go on and on about how uh, innovative these body cams are, uh, considering at the time they weren't at all commonplace. And uh, again, it's another one of those ideas that he expounded upon from Alien. But you're right. Like I was kind of trying to say that you, you illustrated it a lot better than I did. This fact that they're actually looking at us. Is is what causes the panic in the audience, I guess, more than whatever I was I was saying about it that didn't really illustrate the point that well. But yeah, you're right for sure. And and on that sort of same token, um, every time they cut back to Apone, he is it's the same shot basically. Um, in this whole sequence that we've been talking about, he's he's basically he's he's turning around, he's looking around, and at the beginning of this minute, he's looking off to uh, you know audience left, and then. He's like, say again, okay, okay, and then as soon as he's being attacked, he turns toward the camera and mm-hmm. and gets taken, which sort of alludes to the fact that like that point of view maybe was the alien the whole time, and we were just watching the alien watch him, and then mm-hmm. uh, every time it cuts back to him, it seems like it's just a stagnant camera shot, but the fact that it moves in and he looks at it, and that's what the alien is, it, it suggests that maybe... Uh, that's just been an alien POV the whole time and we would never have known. Um, and that's how close they are. It's as close as, uh, you know, and that's how well they are, at, uh, how good they are at hiding. Um, that's, that's something that I would never have thought about. And it's, it's a, it's a good use of, you know, maybe they only had the actor for, or, you know, a little bit of times. So it's like, well, let's shoot everything in this one angle. And then instead of setting up for something new, let's just push in and that'll be the end. Um, and he'll look at the camera, uh, but it, it it suggests something different that actually thematically really works for the sequence. Yeah, and there certainly was a lot of that in Alien. Uh, specifically, I can think of the Brett, the entire Brett sequence where he, he dies, where we first meet the alien. There's a lot of those ideas that maybe we're we're watching from a subjective point of view of the alien the whole time, even though it could just be a. Uh, whatever camera angle Ridley Scott chose, there's always that suspicion. And from then on, you have that suspicion often that maybe you're looking through the alien's point of view, not um, in the alien covenant sort of way where they, uh, he explicitly does that, which I hated in that movie. But I, I like the idea of it being the camera. It's the, it's the subjective point of view of the camera that could be the alien. I don't necessarily need alien vision. You know, but yeah, you're right. And I, I don't, th- it's one of those things that we don't think about. I think maybe Mitch not being on the show. I haven't mentioned as much. It's more of a Mitch Bryan kind of idea was to talk about those kind of things. And, and also the fact that James Cameron, sometimes I don't think about him in those terms of like as thinking about things like that as much. So uh, that's a good call. I think you might be right about how this scene plays out. 
It's just, it's a very like in, in a movie that's full of, you know, kind of not wild shots, but shots where it's like, you know, it's functional, but it, it also, you know, gets, gets, uh, the point across and is fairly artful and you know there's certain like silhouettes of stuff later on that I think were really cool but like that to me is like because he got to start making Roger Corman movies and that's like how can we do the most with the least and it's like what if the camera is the alien haha ha, the end like that's it's it's <laughs> smart and it works and it's fast and you got uh, Al Matthews done in a day <laughs> you know what I mean like, right. it's like oh, cool we're wrapped on you <laughs> goodbye um and then one thing that I wanted to mention is as we're seeing, you know, the, the camera footage and, and, uh, we're seeing people, we're seeing Vasquez and Drake shoot and we're seeing, uh, Hicks shoot his uh, shotgun and all that. We do hear the sounds of aliens dying and like screaming and making noises. And it's a rather high pitched sound. Um, what do you, what do you guys think of that? Uh, as far as how it works within the reality of the film or yeah, and, just as an effect, the the choice uh, of that to be the noise that the aliens make because in the in the original film it makes no noises like that so this is a situation where there are several aliens going after these marines and several and I'm sure many of them are being shot and killed and so it could be a uh, a noise of pain a noise of death or a, a noise of attack uh, but it is this high pit it sounds like a high pitched elephant essentially. Um, and so I just uh, was curious, like when you first heard that noise, uh, do you just kind of accept it or do you think like, oh, that's an odd noise for the alien to make? Well, no, I'm trying to th- remember exactly what kind of noise it's making when Ripley is gassing it or whatever she's doing in the narcissist at the end of Alien. And I'm kind of thinking it's similar. I don't remember it being quite that high um, or that like panicked, but it, yes, it is making a noise. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. A, I guess I've never really thought about it as being a problem. It's. It's something about high pitched squeals that kind of ramp up anxiety. I think. Sure. Like if as a father of a young child, I can tell you that the uh, you kind of like snap a little bit deep inside when the when the squeal hits the certain octave, you know. And uh, I think that if you're going for that effect in these scenes, then that that choice of a sound effect could be very effective. I'm not sure if that's really what's happening here though, but maybe it's just setting up things for later. I don't know. I've never really thought about it as a problem. To me, it's really, it's, it makes them seem like, like animals, you know, like it's the yelp of an animal or something like that, or an yeah. insect. If, if you want to go that, like the high pitch of like a cicada or something like that, it, it's, it's, they don't make low grunting noises. And actually, you know, the queen at the end of the movie, when, uh, she sits and watches Ripley blowtorch all the eggs. She makes that kind of like high pitch, like Rah! kind of yeah. uh, noise, and it's not a roar. It's like a, uh, you know, it's sort of like the noises the Velociraptors make actually in Jurassic Park. I did think that, yes. Um. So yeah, to me, it's it's much. It sounds much more animalistic than it does like. Um, it's not like they're going yay. It's not like a happy squeal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. And I didn't mean to imply that I that I had a problem with it. It was oh, more sure. just, you know, we we're hearing the aliens vocalize now. And uh, and it was something we did hear it in the first film, but not quite to this level. So I just wanted to get what y- your guys take on it. Yeah, that's that's mostly what it felt like to me is it's like and, and also that that's the noises that they might make to each other. Sure. So, you know, 
not speech necessarily, but like, um, hey, I'm hit, you know, that kind of thing, or like yeah. noises to convey um, strategy, really, like, because they seem to have a strategy, even if yeah. they are more animalistic than than human, quote unquote. Well, yeah, um, even if it's just as simple as a clear sound of pain that mm-hmm. tells another alien, okay, maybe where I am isn't safe, <laughs> you know. Like yeah. something just happened to me right here. You can hear how pained I am. Maybe you should clear out. Yeah, it yeah. could be just as simple as that. Obviously, they're, uh, as we know, their language uh, communication abilities evolve a lot over the next couple of movies. But this would be an animal, like a sort of animalistic way of communicating simple things like danger to each other. So, yeah. I mean, it works for me. I, I, I like it in that I like the animalistic thing I, it just kind of sounds like pig squealing even a little bit mm-hmm. so maybe there's that slight note of sympathy you might have for them i don't know if you're supposed to have that or not but it does sound kind of pathetic in a way uh for lack of a better word so i don't know if you're definitely i don't think james cameron's trying to get you to feel for them by any means but uh, it might be a tinge of that it might make it a little bit more complicated for you i don't know it is uh, it is interesting in the the various horror movies and sci-fi movies with even the most animalistic and brutal of uh, uh, alien species and monsters and stuff. There's always the possibility that you can sympathize with them, uh, and yet I do think that uh, the Alien series uh, it is quite remarkable how generally unsympathetic this species is uh, <laughs> because it is so brutal and it's uh, and it's its way of uh, perpetuating itself is uh horrifying so it's worth noting that in in alien versus predator it wasn't like hey pick your side it's okay eventually we're gonna have to side with the predators because the aliens are monsters and we need to kill them um so even though i found myself just because i like the movies more i was rooting for the aliens but that's fine Mm -hmm. you know i will say that uh, the sound effect and what we're talking about as far as having sympathy for a villain if so to speak kind of reminds me of ed 209 now that i think about it sure we have the brutal, like angry, like growling Ed Two Hundred Nine chasing our hero RoboCop, and then when it falls on its back, I f- I always feel sorry for it. <laughs> it's very weird. It falls on its back and squeals and writhes around and kicks its legs, and I always feel kind of bad. So that was a success. I think that's always been a the, for RoboCop. That's kind of a Paul Verhoeven sort of twisted bit of humor kind of thing that happened there. But mm-hmm. anyway, just uh, it just reminded me of that, so I thought I would mention it. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for Minute 64. Uh, Kyle, tell everyone once again where they can find you online. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Functional Nerd. You can find everything I write at Nerdist.com. And you can listen to me on podcasts talking about Doctor Who on Doctor Who the Writer's Room and horror movies on Classic Horror Cast. And Tyler? You can find me at BattleshipPretension.com. You can also find me at MoreThanOneLesson.com. You can purchase my book at WorthWatchingBook.com. And that is it. You can find us at AlienMinute.com, on Twitter at AlienMinutePod, or on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast. Okay, uh, that'll do it for Minute 64. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute 65.